Hello and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the Real Estate Law Specialists. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the Building Safety Act and in particular, higher risk buildings. Hello, Richard. Hello, Lizzie, and how are you? I'm good, thank you. Delighted on this sunny Friday to be talking again about the Building Safety Act. If it's sunny. Well, it's sunny in um, the southwest. I'm not sure about the, the north where you are. But it's quite cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the northwest. Yes. So the Building Safety Act, we're revisiting this again um, because some provisions in relation to high risk buildings are due to come into a force in England on the 6th of April, which we're just weeks away from. Um, so I think that's going to be the main focus of today. So do you want to just start by giving us some of the background into this area? Yeah, I mean, I, I did a, a um, well, we did a podcast on uh, the Building Safety Act Part 5, uh, Leaseholder Protections and the Service Charge Caps. This is something different. Um, it's, uh, it's, again, it's post grandfall legislation and uh, part of the Hackett uh, inquiry and the report Building a Safer Future. And uh, it introduced in part uh, four of the Building Safety Act, something called the Higher Risk uh, Buildings. And since I was last talking about it at all in, in courses for DJB and the likes, so we've now got some of the, the regulations which have been laid in front of Parliament. Uh, they've not passed through Parliament at the moment, it's March the 24th yet, they need 21 days in front of Parliament, and obviously Parliament can object, but I suspect won't. And the, the plan is to start implementation on April the 6th, as you mentioned, which is what, two and a half weeks away, less than that. So that's the background. Oh, I should also say it only applies to England, this. Yeah, I was going to say, so what, what about Wales? It obviously doesn't apply there, but is well, there anything to know? It's bizarre, isn't Cardiff on Monday, having to talk about the Building Safety Act, and it's very difficult to know what's going on. Uh, the uh, whole of the Act, all... 171 sections and 11 schedules uh, apply to both England and Wales, but the Welsh Government were given powers to delegate uh, things like the height of the building in relation to leaseholder protections and also the height of the building to make it a higher risk building. And they're still discussing it there on March the 21st, a couple of days, two or three days ago. Uh, there was an announcement that uh, in the future they will you know, sort of tell their plans to the Welsh Parliament, but we're still completely in an impasse. It will come in in Wales, but we can't say exactly what a higher risk building is yet, and I suspect for some months to come. So do you want to go into what exactly a higher risk building is then, in England at least? Yeah, it's um, basically, we knew this in the past because it's in the primary legislation, but it's one that's 18 metres or more in height, or of less than 18 metres. It's got uh, seven or more stories. And uh, since I was last talking to a DJB about it, it is... Um, They've um, expanded on that. They've actually borrowed it from similar provisions in, in the leaseholder protections. But uh, 18 metres or more will be, or seven more stories, will be from the lowest point on the ground level. If uh, you've got a basement unit and it's totally beneath uh, ground level, uh, you know, the ceiling and below, it doesn't qualify. And if you've got rooftop machinery, so ventilation and the likes, that won't qualify uh, either. Um, so we are now pretty clear on that. There's supposed to be, if you believe the Department of Leveling Up, there's supposed to be about 12,500 buildings in, um, in the whole of the England, something like 1.131 million, 52% uh, of them in the private sector and 
48%, and my maths is correct, in uh, the social housing sector. They do say actually that 61% of the units are going to be in, in, in London. I find that quite surprising. If you have a wander around Manchester, uh, say 7% of the, the buildings will be in the northwest of England, which does surprise me actually. But uh, that's what they're saying. Well, the other thing, obviously, it has to have at least two residential units to qualify, which obviously brings us into the domain of mixed-use premises, and they don't seem to have discussed or thought about mixed-use too much in the commercial elements. The uh, legislation, it's sort of three stages to the uh, Building Safety Act, and you, you, know, you look at the design stage and the construction stage and then the occupation stage, and we're really talking about the occupation stage here. The design and construction stage apply to hosp uh, hospitals and care homes, but not the occupation stage. None of it applies to things like prisons, and residential institutions, hotels, uh, military barracks and the likes. Why do they have that distinction? Well, the government uh, in the consultation say that uh, it's because these places uh, will be occupied all the time by, by staff and the likes. Uh, and also the uh, commercial units, as opposed to just the common parts of residential premises, and within the regulatory reform fire safety order, you have to have risk-based risk assessments and do the work under the fire safety order. So that's why they say that's the case. I'm not sure there's too much difference between a high-rise hotel and residential, but that's what they say. What are the other major provisions? Well, there's huge numbers of provisions in relation to uh, sort of keeping information. They there's already in place an organisation called the, uh, the the Building Safety Regulator, which is part of the Health and Safety Executive, and they have a, a sort of overseen role over well, building control generally, but certainly higher risk buildings. So they're up and running. The legislation introduces a concept called an accountable person. The accountable person is the person with an interest in the in possession, you know, entitled to possession of the common parts. Or if not in possession of the common parts, then they are responsible for repair and maintenance of the common parts. Well, you can have, especially in the bigger blocks, you can have lots of accountable persons. There are criminal offences attached to this, and I'm not sure I want to be an accountable person. They apply to things like right to manage companies and residence uh, management companies, albeit they tend to be higher risk, high rise buildings. But if there's several accountable people or persons, I suppose there would be one that's a principal accountable person. And they would have got an interest in possession in the structure and exterior, or they're responsible for repair or maintenance of the structure and exterior. And the principal accountable person should register the, um, the building with the building safety regulator. And if it's a new build, it's new construction, or, or it's sort of you're adding additional residential units or uh, work's been done on the premises to cause it to become a high risk building like it's an office converted into residential units or something like that, then you're not supposed to allow people into occupation unless registrations occurred. Uh, criminal offence with a maximum potential two years prison and unlimited fines. And you can start registering all your high-risk buildings, all 12,500 of them, and potentially, government says, 490 additional buildings every year you can start registering subject to passing through Parliament as of, as of uh, April the 6th. Um, we've now got the registration. The higher risk 
Buildings Registration and Review of Decisions England Regulations. A fascinating read, Lizzie. Yeah, uh, be sure to pick up a copy of that. Yeah, look at it this weekend. I'll take a copy down to the pub with me for lunch today. I say, if we're to be believed, although not absolutely written stone at the time of recording this, the registrations can start on April the 6th. If you haven't registered by October the 6th, you could be prosecuted. Uh, or the other thing, I suppose, is that if uh, it is a new build construction by this building, or there's uh, adding additional residential units, or you'll or you do work to cause it to become a higher risk building, you convert units into residential, again, most obviously offices. Uh, no one should go into occupation. Your accountable person uh, shouldn't allow anybody into occupation unless you've got uh, building works completion certificates for the building. Uh, that's the, the, the sort of issues. There's lots more about keeping information and keeping records and giving information to the building safety regulator on request. Uh, and uh, and sort of making assessments, management assessments, not just fire safety, but safety generally. That's perhaps for another day. So what are the problems with all of this? Well, there's a lot of obligations also on the the um, the residents and the residential units. You know, they can commit criminal offences if they cause a safety risk or they um, interfere with safety equi equipment or they have to provide safety information about their units, their flats usually. To the, the um, to the um, accountable person, and there's also an ability for the, the principal accountable person you know, to give 48 hours notice, and they must give access uh, to the premises. What they seem to not deal with at all is mixed-use developments. It's barely mentioned in the legislation. There's a lot of these high-risk buildings, London and Manchester and Birmingham, and numerous places besides. Got commercial elements, hotels, you know, shops, offices, whatever down below, and there's no obligations for the commercial leaseholders to allow occupation, you know, allow inspections and the likes, and give up information, which seems odd to me, you know, because that is usually, you know, down through the building is usually the way of exiting it. I know what should be happening now and has been happening for some time uh, is that in new leases, new commercial leases. Uh, landlords should be including access rights in relation to safety inspections and the likes, you know, giving you know, notice and they've been allowed to access premises and requiring commercial leaseholds to give up information as well. Uh, it's not just in, in you know, the bottom floors, it's things like lots of these buildings are ideally suitable for, for communications equipment, mobile phone masks and the likes. The problem is not so much the, uh, the, the new leases, it's the existing leases. You could obviously mutually vary the leases. And to some extent, it's in the leaseholder's best interests, sort of, I suppose, politically as much as anything, to comply. If you were going through a 54 at renewal, um, they're obviously supposed to be, you know, well, you're supposed to have regard to the terms of the current tenancy, the burden is on people wanting to change those terms to change them. But you can do so if it's. Uh, fair and reasonable between the parties. And if there was anything, ever anything, that might just be considered by the courts fair and reasonable. It might just be on 54 hour renewals doing this to live in the Omeyan City of London real property company tests. And that's it, Lizzie, for the time being. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to everybody for listening. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode. <laughs>